Welcome to this week's episode of Daily Horror Habit, the podcast for horror obsessives. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, bringing you horror movie discussions every Friday for your twisted pleasure. And as always, be warned, these discussions may and probably will include spoilers. Today, my guests and I are chatting about the final chapter in Sam Raimi's Evil Dead trilogy, that being 1993's Army of Darkness, in which we find lovable punching bag Ash Williams has fallen into a portal that sent him back to the medieval era. And has been the trend thus far, Ash finds himself entangled in a battle with the Deadite Hordes that are looking to get their hands on the Necronomicon for, what else, enslaving mankind. And joining me to chat about the medieval madness of Army of Darkness is senior copy editor at Polygon.com, Callie Plaguey. Callie, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. No problem. Thank you for uh, taking the time to chat um, and for uh, one of my favorite entries in the uh, Evil Dead series. But before we dive into Army of Darkness, uh, as is tradition at Daily Horror Habit, I'm curious, what was the first horror movie or moment that left an impact on you for uh, better or worse? Well, it's funny because I first saw Army of Darkness when I was six years old. So it's one of the earliest. I mean, it's horror comedy leaning f- much further into comedy. But uh, my cousin still will will tell this story about uh, my, t- my two cousins came over um, to our house. My dad had bought Army of Darkness Um on DVD, he was very excited. Uh, <laughs> and it was our first DVD. And um, so we all watched it. And my cousins are a little bit older than me. Um, but my dad does a lot of dad jokes. And the, <laughs> early in the movie, when uh, the blood comes up from the pit, and they after they push a guy in there, my dad, apparently, I don't remember this, but my cousin really does. My dad turned to all of us and said, they really killed a guy for that. and so i think of that every time i watch the movie because my cousin tells this story like every time i see him um and that that really had an impact on me but uh probably the uh the skeleton marching band um is my my favorite um i just can't ever get over that in terms of horror horror um i was i I watched a lot of horror as a kid somehow i watched the x-files well spooky stuff i guess is not horror but um my parents let me watch the X-Files because I apparently was not scared at all. I watched Tales from the Crypt. Um, but the one thing that always scared the heck out of me was Chucky. I could not handle the existence of Chucky. My dad worked at Universal when I was a kid and he would get a lot of like oh, very cool. screeners. And uh, even the cover of Chucky freaked me out. That was one. I, to this day, I have not seen a Chucky movie. Um, I feel like I need to do it to like kind of uh, cure myself of the fear but that's the one that like I could handle all sorts of stuff Chucky no thank you I can't I feel like Chucky haunted many uh, horror fans childhoods (laughs) and whatnot I distinctly remember when I was a kid I think it was the first time I went to like a Suncoast video back when those were a thing Mm -hmm. and I kind of came across the VHS box cover of it's probably Bride of Chucky at that point, but just remember seeing that and just being like so utterly terrified by that, that I like steered away from the horror aisle of that place for a while. But yeah, yeah Chucky's definitely one that, uh, you know, I've talked to enough people now for this, you know, icebreaker segment where Chucky's one that definitely comes up. But, you know, X-Files is a good shout too, right? Because I think that that show dabbled between being, you know, one week it'd be conspiracy stuff, the next week it would be sort of like a monster of the week type of an episode. So. Right. That's definitely, you know, I would say that's more horror than it being like horror adjacent just because, you know, it dabbles in so many different avenues of uh, of the genre. Absolutely. Yeah. But that was very funny in terms of, uh, you know, t- your experience of watching Army of Darkness and, <laughs> you know, just having family members make up facts or just like make things up about it that, you know, kids being as gullible as they are mm-hmm. would definitely fall for. <laughs> yeah, my, my dad's the king of that. Watching any movie, he'll say that it's based on a true story or that it really happened to him once. Um, but yeah, for Army of Darkness, that he he went he went with a unique one, which was they really killed a guy. (laughs) (laughs) I guess then I'm curious because obviously the big tonal shift in the Evil Dead franchise from one to two is that there's more of a humor focus, right? It becomes much more of a horror comedy than just kind of playing it straight horror movie and even more so in Army of Darkness. So I guess for you, you know, you told me that 
you think that Evil Dead 2 is the best in the series, but, you know, Army of Darkness holds a special place for it in your heart. I guess, how does Army of Darkness separate itself from the one that came before it, you know, considering that they are both horror comedies, kind of in what ways does it, you know, distinguish itself for you? Um, Well, it was the first one that I saw. I feel like um, Evil Dead 2, and especially the first Evil Dead, uh, would have been a bridge too far for my parents. They probably would have been like, "Mm, no, that's a bit much. So um, I didn't see those until I was much older. So there's a separation there temporally for me. But um, I also think there's a very big jump um, in the special effects from Evil Dead 2 to Army of Darkness. And so I really enjoy... I think it was in television, um, is what it's called. The like, it's a you know sh- the short-lived uh, effects that uh, platform. I don't know what you call it. Software is it software? No, uh, technique. There we go. Yeah, technique. Um, and <laughs> I got there. I'm an editor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I think there's a, a a charm to that, especially because it was introduced, you know, when I was pretty young as a technique, and what faded out of. Uh, out of favor very quickly. Um, So I find it very charming in that sense. And I really especially love the practical effects alongside the CGI, the the janky 90 CGI um, (laughs) that helps kind of bring uh, the army of darkness to life. Um, For Evil Dead 2, I mean, I really, I think, you know, as an adult, I'm like, I think that strikes the perfect balance between horror and comedy. Like that is Absolutely. the tone. That's the tone I'm going for if I'm going to watch a horror comedy now. Um, but Army of Darkness is one of those like family movies where like to <laughs> this day we can quote it in my family. Um, and it, you know, it becomes a jokey thing. And so it became really important to me for that. Um, and, you know, that was one of the ways I would bond with my parents was through movies because they both love movies. So um, that's that's why it... And also, the the one-liners out of Ash and Army of Darkness are unparalleled. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he, like, he has some zingers, and I, I love him so much. Um, he really... I think the character really comes into his own in Army of Darkness in a way that it started to in, in Evil Dead 2, but I think... You really get like the pure asshole energy uh, <laughs> yeah. of Ash um, in Army of Darkness. That is the way the character is still in my mind, as opposed to you know the much more timid Ash in the first movie, um, and right. the the guy who kind of walks the line and is kind of a jerk, but mostly just like very much trying to live <laughs> in Evil Dead Two. Um, so I think Army of Darkness gives him more room to show his personality because it's not like constantly dire every step of that film. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, it's always interesting to talk to people about where they were introduced first to Evil Dead, right? And it seems to me mm-hmm. that, you know, and most people I've talked to, myself included, right, we came to Evil Dead 2 first. And then it's like, well, what's the next step? Of course, diving into Army of Darkness. And then, you know, going backwards to the Evil Dead, you know, that tonal shift feels very jarring, of course, when you're going backwards through it right. to the degree that, you know, it took me a while to really get on board with the original. And, you know, it's only been in the last few years that I'm able to appreciate it, you know, and what it still is able to achieve. And, you know, in revisiting the entire series and then watching the remake and then, you know, dabbling a little bit with the series itself, uh, the TV series, that is, you know, it really does feel like far more of a, you know, just this tonal shift always kind of feels like it was there from the outset, even if, of course, you would not have known that going from the very beginning. And it's a lot less of a jarring transition, I find, just the more that I revisit these movies, and specifically because of, you know, Evil Dead 2 transitioning into Army of Darkness. Mm -hmm. It really does, of course, you know, heighten the laughs, heighten the scope, heighten the production and all these things. But the attention to Ash, I think, is what allows it to really be almost seamless for me. And this is something that we've kind of been revisiting with guests over the last two weeks. You know, there's this dynamic shift or rather personality shift with Ash, right? He's introduced mm-hmm. as Ashley. And in the first film, of course, it is very much playing it straight, right? He is somebody that is, you know, in the worst imaginable situation. And then there's that shift where he becomes Ash, right? Where he's this kind of yeah. one-liner. He's coming into his own as being able to hold his own against the Deadites. And then you get to really see Ash you know, become a superhero, essentially, an army of darkness. And for me, that's probably, like you had said, the quality of this movie that, 
you know, is what really does make it timeless in my mind. You know, I mean, again, I'm like you in that Evil Dead 2 is my preferred, but this is a very easy movie to sell. Like even my buddies that are not necessarily the biggest of horror fans, it's like Evil Dead 2, Army of Darkness. You can't watch either of those and not kind of walk away having fun with it, but also, you know, quoting Ash at seemingly every turn. Yeah, absolutely. I It was a really good gateway into the series for me. I mean, because Evil Dead is so iconic that like I was familiar enough with the concept by the time I had seen it, uh, like I eventually did see it, um, that I knew it wasn't going to be comedy, but I was taken aback by how like not funny it was. <laughs> and I was like, oh. <laughs> and then I I love like the there's just such a charm to it. The the transition to Evil Dead 2 where they have to kind of recap the end of Evil Dead because they didn't have the rights. Mm-hmm. And you know, it retcons a, a couple things. And um I I like that. I like that it's almost like Raimi treated it as a living document of just like, I'm just right. gonna push forward. Um <laughs> and that's what the connective tissue is for me is that you have the like hokey elements, the B movie elements of the first movie that are really pronounced, the uh, puppetry especially, um, that now is really charming and adds to the the transition to humor for me where I'm like, oh, I can totally see how the creator would look at this and be like, okay, I know the direction to take it next. We're going to lean into that, um, you know, I say this with love, B-movie aspect of the series. And um, yeah, and I, I I do agree that going backwards is definitely like, huh? <laughs> but, uh, but, <laughs> it's the best way to describe it. <laughs> but once I got past that, I and looking at it as a whole trilogy, I just really appreciated how, I, like as somebody who works online, you know, I can go into an article I write and change something at any time, I can make an update at any time to add details or to tweak something, fix a typo. You can't do that with a film mm-hmm. um, unless you're George Lucas. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I really like that this trilogy just is like, uh, forget about the, uh, you know, Scotty, mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> like, forget about that dude. We're going to just push forward with a farewell to arms and right. you know <laughs> that is, and the confidence of that I find really appealing. If that makes sense, yeah. You know, in the recent revisit of Army of Darkness for me, I was so surprised. And of course, having the more recent context of running through the entire series in you know the span of a week, I mean, I had a lot more insight into you know just how particular Raimi is in really not only you know from a narrative standpoint honing his craft in terms of like Ash's character growth, which when you really stop and think about how big of a production Army of Darkness is compared to the other two films that came before it, like it's the type of thing where you're always afraid when a filmmaker comes out and they want to make a continuation and they get a bigger backing, they get a bigger budget, you know, they it's a more of a sprawling production. You almost worry, or at least I always worry that like the little details, whether they be character or details within the world, like something is going to be lost there. And Mm -hmm. in revisiting Army of Darkness back to back with Evil Dead 2, just because the scope of the story and the scope of, you know, the medieval landscape is much bigger than the cabin, I find that there isn't any real deviations from Ash and really, you know, continuing his arc in a way that feels very, very natural. And that was something that I remain really, really impressed by. Specifically, you know, he has that whole hero's journey arc in this film. And of course it's been building to that for the two previous films, but the fact that he's able to be introduced as, you know, this very reluctant hero that has no interest now that, you know, he doesn't have any immediate investment in these people or this time period, right? He just kind of wants to get out of there now. Like he doesn't have any friends to save and he's not shy about that, right? He's kind of just Mm -hmm. like, well, screw all you primitive eggheads and whatnot. (laughs) Um, And I really, really like, though, that you're able to have this movie that, you know, doesn't lose sight of Ash being at the forefront of that hero's journey, which, you know, is very classical in that regard and kind of just the pacing of it all. But, you know, it's done with the Raimi flair or, you know, Bruce Campbell, of course, is is always able to add his own his own 
abilities in terms of what his skill set is and what he's strongest at. And it never feels like it's a traditional arc, even if at the end of the day it is. Yeah. And, and I, I like, you know, like we said, Ash kind of really, he starts out in the first movie is very, you know, he can barely even swing, you know, a weapon <laughs> at, at a deadite. Um, but once you, get, once he gets through the turmoil of the first two movies, you get to army of darkness and now he's just, done like he's just like i i just love that you can kind of trace this attitude back through the the trilogy and be like okay i, I see how he got here and i i can and it's not he's not shell-shocked by what happened he's just like oh my god i just want to get i'm so done with this i just right. want to get back <laughs> um and i think that's that's pretty special i think you know you don't at least at the time, you didn't see a lot of heroes with that sort of attitude or, or kind of like a, you know, what, you know, a loud mouthed braggart, just, a, <laughs> you know, bad character traits, um, but who is lovable in his own way. Like, I'm thinking back to like Star Wars, where it's like Luke is just this, you know, he's never going to say anything that horrible to the people around him right. uh, in terms of heroes, journey heroes. But um you know, his and his reaction to being chained up and thrown in the pit is very much believable, where it's just, you know, he is not like these these people don't know what they're doing. They're I'm clearly in the thirteen hundreds. No. He's like right. I'm gonna threaten you with my gun. <laughs> <laughs> um and that's I, I always really enjoyed I don't know what this says about me, but I, I like a lovable asshole. Um, character a lot and maybe this is this this movie is why I like that archetype so much um, but I think Bruce Campbell d does such a good job of selling it like he really just uh, makes that character come to life well that's why I think you can call him a lovable asshole right because he has that arc where he ends up being redeeming right it's not mm -hmm. that he just you know he throughout the early portion of the film right he treats uh, the love interest Sheila like shit basically right and he's yeah. an asshole he's sure to her at one point uh, he tells her to like go blow or something, which, you know, it comes off as very abrasive. And you mentioned Scotty. He almost is behaving like Scotty did in the first film. True. Um, and I think that that's why, you know, by the end of the movie, you can call him a lovable asshole and not have reservations about that. Because at the end of the day, like he does earn that title of both, you know, being lovable, but also being an asshole still <laughs> or being a uh, his mouth getting him into more trouble maybe than uh, he realizes sometimes. But really, really makes his character work when you look at all three films, right? Is that there have always been inklings of his potential, right? And I think that, yeah. you know, early on in the first film, he is incredibly reserved, right? But you still see small qualities in him that pop up where, you know, when Scotty is being an asshole, he stands up for the various women that Scotty's berating, right? I mean, it doesn't do it. it at that point, it's just like, well, don't treat her like shit, which nobody else thinks to say at all. But <laughs> There's little inklings in the film. And then, of course, in the second in Army, when he becomes more, you know, more confident in that personality or he's having to deal with these awful events and more of his personality comes out. Um, I just think that it never feels like something he does is kind of coming out of nowhere or it's just being done to get a laugh. It's no, it feels informed by the film that came before it and what it kind of reveals about him, which if anything, you know, it helps, of course, that Bruce Campbell is uh, what I consider like one of the greatest comedic actors that probably doesn't get enough love than, you know, he should be getting. But I think that with this character, it's just, you know, it's perfect, perfect pair. Yeah, he does a fantastic job. And actually, while you were talking, I realized I had forgotten this when I was watching because I also watched them all in like a span of a week um, or rewatched them all in a span of a week because of the game. Yep. And um, in... I think it was in the original Evil Dead. He for, he forgets something. Like there, there's something somebody tells him, or he did something forgetful. And I remember that sticking out to me because I was like, "Oh, that's the Ash who can't remember the words." <laughs> right. You know, like that's the Ash who's not paying enough attention and can't remember, uh, you know, the words he's supposed to say. There's a seed of him all the way back here in the first movie, and I wish I could remember the exact moment where I was like, "Ah, there he is," but. You're right that that you can pick out parts that that do come to fruition later, um, and it's you know it's more organic than 
than in a, you know, like an MCU movie where everything is p- carefully planned to fit together like puzzle pieces. I, I think part of the charm is that it feels like it's evolving as they go, uh, but you still, like, it it evolved organically and that, you know, the character, it wasn't a complete change in who this character was. It was just an evolution of him. So um, I like that a lot. Yeah. And, you know, looking at the film as a whole and, you know, turning that lens from Ash and him evolving that character, or Bruce Campbell evolving Ash throughout the films, you know, something that I've talked about with the other two guests, you know, about Evil Dead and uh, Evil Dead 2 was Raimi's ability to really kind of like hide callbacks or return to some gags that he had done in previous films. But he's able to, you know, through all of his experience in between each of the films and whatnot and his just honing his craft, you know, he's able to return to the well, so to speak, but Mm -hmm. it never feels like it's just cribbing from past successes, right? I think that it's not just a case of him doing something that he did previously, like bigger and better, but there's just a little bit of growth in everything that he's doing. Like specifically early on, you know, with before the pit fight, even you have um, one of Arthur's men throws one of Henry the Red's men into the pit, right? And you get that blood geyser effect, which if anything, I mean, it's to it's times a hundred to any of the other kind of blood geyser effects from the previous film. But just the fact that he's able to return to something that is, you know, an iconic shot from the franchise, but do it in a way that is not only much bigger, but then to follow it up with a fantastic fight scene, which I think, you know, it almost kind of gives you a preview of the way that he would shoot fight scenes in something almost like, you know, his Spider-Man movie, right? Early on mm-hmm. where he's able to take this fight scene, but add so much personality to it. And again, it's just, it remains a movie that, or a director throughout that series of films that always outdoes himself, but it's just the type of quality that, you know, it doesn't feel like it's necessarily always planned. Like you had said, in terms of like piecing all those puzzles together of a Marvel movie or something, but you can always see growth in him, no matter how apparent it might be. It's the type of thing where sometimes it's not till the end of the scene where you go, oh, that was kind of similar to something he did previously, but he's attacked it in a new way, which never makes it seem as if he's kind of just resting on the laurels of the past film success. Yeah, I definitely noticed that, um, especially in the camera work when he's um, like putting his uh, metal arm on is very is reminiscent of the camera work in um, the first movie when he's he has to like strap um oh my god i always blank on her name linda linda i'm like it's not laura i for some reason i mean she she's dead right so i forget her name all the time but uh (laughs) when he's strapping her to the to the table with you know in the shed with the chainsaw and it like follows the straps i'm not describing this scene very well but i think you know what i'm talking about the kind of like trust me fans of these movies know the scene you're describing <laughs> yeah that kind of camera work um like you said is used in army of darkness and like is in a way a callback but it's being repurposed especially because the tone is so different uh that it almost feels like uh an in joke with the audience um yes. in a way that's not Again, not like a a Marvel in joke that's, you know, like very, very, you know, fourth wall breaking sort of like it's just, you know, it's just a small thing that's like this works even if you haven't seen the first two movies. But if you have seen them, you know where where this came from and the root of it. And it's not a you know, it's not a one to one um, scene. The the one thing I'm so disappointed about, though, with Army of Darkness is that it did not get the title Medieval Dead, which I know was Sam Raimi's intention and Universal did not want that. But I will say the title in Japan is great. <laughs> Captain Supermarket, which is a fantastic title. <laughs> fantastic title. I was looking at the poster recently because a coworker sent it to me like an original print that's like a over a thousand dollars and i was like i'm tempted um and i was re- i had never i think the last time i saw it i couldn't read katakana and i this time i could and i realized that in in japanese the title of the movie is captain supermarket and i was like oh my god now i really need to spend a thousand dollars um but i'm looking at the poster right now this looks fantastic 
It's yeah. If fans of this movie who have not seen the Japanese poster should absolutely check it out. I'll probably just get a cheap print of it. But I think that leans into the superhero aspect of the character uh, in a fun way. And it's cool to see, you know, the different way it was marketed for a different audience. Um, and but still like that, that. That's the perfect like Japanese title for this movie. I'm like, absolutely. <laughs> he is Captain Supermarket. Like, yeah, that's the whole thing. You know, he's he's here. He is king. Well, I think that, you know, the scenes that you were mentioning between the first two movies, right, with the shed Mm -hmm. is great because that's such a great example of Raimi's ability to, you know, have that in joke, but it doesn't bring the pacing to like a screeching halt, right? It's not really groany or eye rolly because again, the audience is in on it, but even if you're not necessarily a fan or you haven't seen the previous movie, it's like the visual language of that scene is so obvious and apparent that everybody gets it. Everybody can enjoy it, which is a quality of filmmaking that I think is unfortunately on the decline when you're talking mm-hmm. about series and, you know, for various trends in you know, larger franchises and the sort of, you know, different phases of uh, a specific <laughs> series and whatnot. But, you know, what I really like about that example is that, you know, in Army of Darkness, He's using that same sort of texture and language in that scene where Ash is making the metal hand. And if anything, it's almost more complex, right? Because in the first two scenes or the first two movies, when he has that moment in the shed, it's very brief and it's very isolated just to like the shelf, right? Because mm-hmm. the first film, he finds the saw, right? The second film, the saw is not there. There's a white outline of it. And it kind of has that slam uh, zoom in or slam cut right. to that, which you know reinforces the fact, oh, something's missing. And the fact that Raimi is able to take that same stylistic uh, approach in Army of Darkness, but then makes the scene more complex because you get like, I think it's three or four different shots in different locations of different actions, but it still has those you know slam cut zoom ins it still has the emphasizing like, oh, this is different or this is the important part. And that's a quality that, you know, I think really does permeate throughout the entirety of Army of Darkness in various parts. But overall, like, it just shows that Raimi is constantly in between each of these movies, is just learning something from each of his films, whether or not they ended up being successful. Because, And of course, I'm forgetting it now, but the movie that he did between Evil Dead and uh, Evil Dead 2, like, apparently, well, I haven't seen it, but it was supposed to be a failure. And even in that failure, like, clearly he learned something in that mm-hmm. process that I find to be, like, apparent in Evil Dead 2 because, of course, it's clear that, oh, this is a filmmaker that is more experienced, that is more mature in some ways. Like, our pal uh, Matt and I chatted last week about Evil Dead 2 and that, you know... There's a reference in that movie or brief scene that has the tree from the original film. But Mm -hmm. of course, it lacks that infamous context in the sequel, and it doesn't include another scene like that. And that was a quality as a filmmaker that as young as he was, I was impressed that he didn't feel the need to like return to that scene or something like that, right? He's able to evolve on elements of the previous film, but show growth and maturity, I think, in terms of like, what is actually important or what is going to match the tone of this movie in a way that, you know, looking backwards, he would be probably more proud of. And I suppose, you know, he said that he regrets that scene in the original movie. So just like the wherewithal of, okay, here's what's worked. Here's what I didn't like. And then, you know, making massive strides to outdo himself, I find in between each film is just like so remarkable. Yeah, it's definitely um, for the best to to leave that scene in the past you know mm. i mean for me it's uh it's one of those things that i just write off i'm like it was the 80s so right. you know but i yeah i can i can really appreciate the you know the callback to it but we're not going to you know we're not going to to linger too long on any one thing um and i think the the pace of of army of darkness is similar where you know, it's pretty quick, especially the theatrical cut um, is is pretty brisk. Um, it I re- like, you know, the the skeleton marching band is not nearly long enough a scene in my, <laughs> right. in my yeah. opinion. Um, I could watch like a ten hour loop of that, but um, <laughs> I think you know it it moves through the dr- the jokes relatively quickly. I'd say probably the uh, the scene where he's trying to 
to pick up the Necronomicon is like the long, like lingers on the jokes the longest, mm-hmm. um, especially the Jim Carrey looking face stuff yeah. he does, <laughs> uh, the very physical comedy in that scene. Um, but I think a, a lot of the movies, especially the, you know, when you get to the actual showdown at the castle, by the end, I'm like, wow, it's that was, we're already here. Like, wh- wow. Um, and yeah, I just think it, like like we said kind of at the top, the, the production value of that um, really sets itself apart. Um, there was something else I was going to say, and now I can't remember. Maybe it was about the tree. Oh, it was about the tree. I A quick thing, I know we're not talking about the reboot, but having watched the reboot recently, I was very surprised. We watched the unrated version, and I was very surprised that the tree rape returned. Um, I was like, oh, that was certainly a, a choice. I thought we uh, we learned to move away from that. In, uh, <laughs> in yeah, you know the way that I describe the remake. Um, you know, I really, really like the remake overall because I think that if and maybe this is just like my my uh, sensibilities as a horror fan, right? I think that that movie is comical in a way that the uh, you know Evil Dead Two and Army of Darkness are. Obviously, the tone is not comical, but it's comical almost in like its excess. Especially that un- yes. unrated cut, and you know, t- comical excess being in regards to everything except the scene that you just mentioned. I mean, overall, uh, yes, sort of just yes, the approach absolutely. to violence is uh, almost comical in like how long it lingers, but also, especially in that unrated cut, the fact that those scenes go on for about thirty seconds more than they need to, and the fact that it kind of just lingers, and it's like, okay, we need to like give these people a chance to like catch their breath because this is a little overkill. But I guess. Overall, like in terms of the pace of Army, I actually watched the director's cut for the first time because Army of Darkness at this time when I needed to watch it in prep had left streaming services and there was like an old DVD copy that I had never watched for whatever reason. But it definitely does not need to be longer than the theatrical, in my opinion. Um, And they also change a couple of lines, which I just was like kind of flummoxed by because, you know, it is such a quotable movie, but the one that really stood out to me that they changed was um, when he shoots evil Ash, he says, uh, good, bad, I'm the guy with the gun, which is a really great quote, I think, because it kind of does capture the fact. Yeah, it's not only iconic and like funny that this guy's been beating the shit out of him and then he just blows him away, but (laughs) it does solidify, right, that he is this anti-hero and he's aware of that and he's comfortable with that. Yes. And they changed it to something like, I can't, I can't even remember it was such a bad line, but it kind of just like falls flat. It's A, not a funny line, but also it doesn't feel like a line that is him sort of like expressing who he is in this movie, right? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really benefit the growth that he has, right? We described him as this lovable asshole because he goes through that whole process of being, you know, the the bad guy, so to speak, and then neutral and then becomes a good guy. He becomes the savior and... There's so many lines of dialogue in this movie that I think we need to touch upon. Like, what are some of your favorite Ash quotes from uh, Army of Darkness? Well, we, there's listen up, you primitive screwheads. Or, yep. sorry, <laughs> uh, primitive screwheads, listen up. This is my boomstick. Then there's uh, next one of you primates even touches me. Um, and that's, you know, at the beginning when he's being, you know, at his peak jerk levels. Um, and then, you know, uh, my dad would always quote the uh what's the matter you raised in a barn shut the door <laughs> when <laughs> sheila comes in um well he he follows that up under his breath right he's like she probably was raised in a barn <laughs> yeah yeah exactly uh and um you know you also see a lot of the lines you know when he's talking about like yeah yeah i you know i said the word or like i you know i that's not like a quotable line but you mm-hmm. see you see the 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 arrogance right right uh then getting into like honey you got real ugly um being one of my favorites um and also the the are all men from the future loudmouth braggarts just me um i love that line um my dad also would say that line all all the time and then you know finally you get to the end of the movie about like but here i am king and then hail to the king baby of course um so i think like if we're charting the movie through the quotable lines, you can even see the character development. Um, but, but yeah, I, 
there's there's so many and they're all in the game, which has been very, very fun for me. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the thing is that I convinced my buddies that aren't the biggest Evil Dead fans. They've seen maybe one of them. And we've been playing the game, though, together because, you know, you need a new co-op game every couple of weeks, it seems, uh, (laughs) or multiplayer rather. And just like hearing those lines, like they get a laugh out of me. But then my buddies have been like, well, like, what is what is the significance of that? But then that gives me an opportunity to show them the movie. And so, like, I've gotten to show people Evil Dead 2 and, you know, Army of Darkness, um, which has been great. And, you know, that's something that uh, has definitely made me enjoy the game even more so right it being this thing that's a lot more approachable than for my buddies that maybe aren't the biggest movie fans or horror fans me saying like oh let's watch this 80s movie or 90s movie is a little harder of a sell than Mm -hmm. oh let's play this you know asynchronous multiplayer game that you can play as a guy with a chainsaw for an arm like that's (laughs) an easier sell for most of my buddies at least yeah absolutely and like i think you know so much of i mean that game really captures the personality especially of Army of Darkness. I mean, when you see the neck, the necromancer comes up and he adjusts his jaw because Ash, you know, blew off evil <laughs> Ash's face uh, and his, his jaw, like, f- you know, falls open while he's saying Sally forth. Uh, I just thought that attention to detail was really remarkable. And I think, you know, that game has a lot of the personality that was, you know, established in Army of Darkness. Um, and, and... So it's it does help. It that's how I got my boyfriend to watch through all the all three movies. I think he was willing before that, but it was a good catalyst, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, just just being like, yeah, you like the tone of this. Well, the, here you go. Here's where it all comes from. Um, and I have had the same experience of playing with people who you know have played like Dead by Daylight or something, and. Uh, we're open to playing the game and explaining references and quotes and being like, oh, that's, you know, what we're doing right now is canon. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, oh, yeah, you know, Ash and I had a showdown with Evil Ash um, on stream, actually. Poly- Polygon was doing a charity stream for Trans Lifeline. And we had this whole like canon showdown and it was incredible. Or like even just being like, oh, you know, the reason this happens is because in the I had to explain the skeleton flautist um, right. <laughs> to, to people and be like, oh, that's not random. That's a, there's a reason for that. And whoever <laughs> thought of that was brilliant and I want to meet them. Um, and yeah, I'm kind of rambling now, but I just, I loved it as a catalyst to to be like, listen, I know not everybody appreciates some, some people went to film school. Some people watch films. I, I grew up watching, you know, just movies, man. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, let me introduce you to some of my favorite just 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 fun times. You know, yeah. it's just a good fun time. You know, likewise, somebody that just, you know, has always been a lifelong movie fan. And then, you know, I'm probably to a fault, always trying to recommend movies to my buddies. And that's like, okay, yeah, we're going to watch another 80s horror movie. Like, yeah, we're really going to prioritize that right now. But it's a lot easier of a sell when you have something like the game. And it's probably why I praise the game so much. And it's currently like one of my favorite horror games of the year, I think. And it's that it's such an like phenomenal understanding of the source material, but Mm -hmm. the employment and deployment of like the inside jokes and things like that, it's selective in that, again, it's like the film in that they are all elements that people can enjoy on some level or at least get them to be like, oh, this is kind of interesting or this is different than something else I've seen. Oh, there's three movies that have this, you know, braggart in it. And then it's always funny, of course, seeing people go backwards through the series and then rewatching it from the first to the last and just... Mm -hmm. Getting to really, they, I mean, they are incredibly rewatchable films, obviously for people that enjoy them, but I find just seeing that arc in that character and Ash is so easy to love by the second and third film that you can't not like want to go back to the origin and then just relive all of those kind of greatest moments. Mm-hmm. Um, but like moving on from some of the more memorable quotes that we like, um, I mean, in addition to, you know, his mouth being cranked up to 11 in terms of it just running constantly, uh, the physicality does too. And, yes. you know, when I was talking about Evil Dead 2 with someone, I was like, well, I consider Bruce Campbell to be one of the greatest comedic actors, uh, it, like in a slapstick sense, right? Because not only does he, you know, cut his hand off, but he beats the shit out of himself in increasingly inventive ways. Yeah. And, you know, I think Army of Darkness is probably the best example of that. That being, 
of course, the uh, the infamous mini clones uh, encounter in the windmill. <laughs> yes, it, I mean, yeah, his physicality and his his it's really really well done and i you know i said that he was making the jim carrey looking faces just because that sequence does come off as a jim carrey style physical comedy um that i think he pulls off really well and and he is very good at hurting himself i mean he's, he's <laughs> had to do it in multiple you know films and uh just like the the effects of the the little ashes and the ways that you know he like the uh, shot of him drinking the boiling water yeah. and the the way that his face, like he has a facial expression to react to that, but he, you know, he's also reacting to it with his body. Um, and like, obviously I know that the water is not really boiling, but I, you know, like part of me is like, okay, but how hot did they actually make yeah. it? You can't not cringe at it. Yeah. Like he, he, he does a great job. And I think, um, you know, he's a, he's a self-described B-movie actor, but I think, you know, that is, you know, very, you know, S tier, like you, the buy in, you know, like he really sells it. There's no there's no barrier of like one liners feeling awkward or, you know, the this is a little, you know, Stooges esque. I'm falling over. It's really like he commits and he sells it and like it it. I just, I have always liked him since. I even watched Burn Notice. So, like, you can call me a real Bruce Campbell fan. <laughs> <laughs> Where, you know, that's not really a physical comedy show. But, uh, I you know, I do think, like, he has the physical comedy. He has the, the delivery and the timing. Um, even, like, the way he expresses exasperation um, can be done in a funny way. I yeah I've just I've always really appreciated that and when we were watching it this was my boyfriend's first time seeing this movie and he knows that I saw it as a kid he was like oh I can see how like this translates to a kid enjoying it but also right. you know because he's falling over and he's got two <laughs> heads and he's being poked in the eyes by skeleton hands and then you know but as an adult there's still like you appreciate that on a different level right yeah you know it really is the most involving kind of Looney Tunes-esque, you know, <laughs> brutality, if you will. Um, but it really is Bruce Campbell's ability to sell every single, you know, uh, act of brutality against him, but he sells it differently than the one that came before it, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I, not that I'm extremely well-versed in Three Stooges or anything like that, but, <laughs> you know, after a while, if you've seen more than one or two clips, it's like, it kind of seems like they're doing the same type of reaction through multiple different acts of violence. So that way you almost kind of become desensitized to it, I would think. But mm -hmm. with, you know, the comedic violence in Evil Dead always feels as memorable or as funny or as potent, if you will, um, every single time because it's his ability to sell each of those stunts somewhat or slightly different than the one that came before it. Or even if it's something like him getting poked in the eye, right? He's able to sell that same act differently both times or three times that it happens. And I think that, of course, you know, it helps Bruce Campbell has uh, a one delivery of those kind of, again, smart ass lines or a little bit of his personality kind of shines through no matter what's happening to him or what he's doing to other people. But also like looking again from what was asked of him in the first film to now Army of Darkness, like it doesn't seem as if he missed a beat in terms of matching that scale, right? Because each film right. gets bigger. Raimi's, of course, asking more and more of him to, you know, at points literally bleeding or getting teeth knocked out or something. <laughs> and you can just see him progressing as not only a comedic actor, but, you know, the physicality that goes with that, which, you know, every time I watch the movie, I just am more and more impressed by it. Like there's that scene at the end when they're having the big battle where he's doing a double handed sword fight while walking up yes. and down stairs like Something like that, I mean, I couldn't imagine walking and delivering lines, let alone having a sword <laughs> fight with the verticality included. I mean, it's I'm just blown away by it every time I watch it. Yeah, like he he has the comedic timing and comedic acting down, but he also has, you know, action hero uh, capabilities. And I, I mean, a lot of that fight on the, the on the staircase and, you know, on the castle walls, he was doing that you know with the air and counting um for all of the ones that are cg and 
I was reading something that said he was getting very, very frustrated at one point, which I was like picturing as Ash, not as like Bruce Campbell, the person. So I was entertained right. by that fact. <laughs> but um, yeah, the fact that he can like do those fights two handed or like, you know, he sticks a spear in one and then it gets another one and he, you know, without looking, gets somebody behind him. Um, all of that on top of having to fight against nothing um, is is really impressive and is especially i mean the intellivision technology technology does help or technique i don't even know if it's technology i yeah not a i'm not a film expert like i said um, I'm, I'm, I'm not a film expert either i think technique's a perfectly fine way to describe it <laughs> but um I, I know that made it a little bit easier at the time to film sequences that were going to be uh, cg'd in post but um uh still like he really gets very action hero-esque and like you said superhero-esque um too and i i think you know the movie walks a good line like you have the triumphant ending of the theatrical cut anyway and uh you know the the swell of the music and um and all of that like it all at least to me somebody who grew up watching it has seen it a ton of times i always you know really enjoy the you know, the music when everything's, you know, Henry the Red and Arthur are hugging and <laughs> they've won and, uh, you know, the day is saved, um, you know, still has that effect on me. I still love it. Well, you know, I think it's interesting, you know, mentioning that he was becoming exasperated by that experience, right? Uh, that being Bruce Campbell. Mm -hmm. um, but the film itself, again, I keep coming back to because just in having the context again of watching all the movies... I mean, given the scale and the scope and how it, that end battle scene is the biggest thing at the time, I would believe that Raimi had shot, right? The biggest set right. piece, the most intricate battle sequence that has all these moving parts that most of the viewers probably don't even realize going into making it happen. And yet it never feels like any punches are being pulled, which, you know, especially in learning about um, Bruce Campbell and being not only injured in that battle scene when he was filming it, but on top of that, just like being frustrated with how difficult it was. You never really feel like Raimi pulls in or cuts any corners in terms of like, oh, well, if this is really difficult, we could probably cut around or shoot around that. I mean, it is such a technically proficient film compared to, again, building off of each one that came before it, that it does make for this really epic set piece and finale that feels akin to something like, you know, like Joan of Arc or like Jason and the Argonauts uh, of the classic films. And yeah, like you said, when the music cuts in at the right moment and you have this triumphant moment, at the same time, though, Raimi never really gets lost in all of that. You know, his own personality and kind of sensibilities always come through. I mean, he ends the movie or, you know, right before the finale, he ends it by having the Deadite Captain like not only get thrown from a catapult, but explode in midair. Like <laughs> yes. he has all these little comedic touches to everything that it never feels like just a medieval fantasy movie. It feels like a Sam Raimi medieval fantasy movie, which I think, you know, the more and more we're inundated with not just genre films, but like movies that are clearly drawing inspiration from genre movies. Like sometimes the director's voice can get lost in that, but yeah. I at least never find that's the case with Raimi. Yeah, I think, I mean, I haven't seen the new Doctor Strange, but I have read that, you know, it. you can tell it's Raimi. Um, and so I'm excited to see that because I think his uh, his style, you know, he it is very apparent in the, the movies he makes. I'll say, yeah, without, you know, revealing anything about Multiverse of Madness, which I just saw uh, like a week ago or something, uh, I'll say it is 100% Raimi's voice comes through at certain sections of it. You know, of course, it's going to fall prey to the uh, the MCU method at points and whatnot, and that's definitely apparent. But it is the most, for me, like the visually and tonally distinctive of the Marvel stuff that I've seen probably since something like Endgame of whatever, I keep, I lose track of whatever phase we're in. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I would say like, if you're a Raimi fan, if you're a horror fan, Multiverse of Madness, like his voice is not completely sort of uh, squandered or silenced. So that was definitely something that I was uh, happy to see. Yeah. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing it, even though I don't know anything. That, that's the thing is we were talking about how like in the Evil Dead trilogy, you can enjoy, you know, Army of Darkness without 
having seen the other two, which is, you know, what happened to me as a kid, uh, I don't think that's the case for, you know, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness based on I've edited a ton of stories about it. I basically have been spoiled on the movie. So it's like, whatever. Um, and I got a bunch of information. I have not seen WandaVision. I didn't see the first Doctor Strange. So like the buy-in for me is is really high. Like I have a lot of information that I will, like, I have a lot of homework to do, you know? Um, and that's the one thing that, you know, that's where you, you miss a little. You're like, oh, I wish they had let Raimi do the Raimi thing. But I'm glad to hear that it's uh, it's still very much him. I Before we like wrap or anything, I did want to bring up, I was talking over the weekend to a friend of mine who loves, I mean, we would watch 80s horror together all the time. Loves 80s horror. Uh, we watched Evil Dead 1 and 2 together. Um, and we were talking about Army of Darkness over the weekend. It came up randomly, uh, which is just something that happens in my life. And um, he was saying he was saying that his problem with the movie is is that he thinks Ash's design as, you know, one hand is a chainsaw is so perfect, just a pitch perfect protagonist design for this kind of movie. And giving him the metal hand was kind of like, oh man, like he just got that, that sick chainsaw hand. And so for him, like, he felt that like he doesn't necessarily love army of darkness because of that largely and i hadn't thought about that before because he does have the chainsaw you know that moment where the chain he puts his arm in the air and the chainsaw connects um and i do think it would be it would have been very difficult to do the rest of the movie with the chainsaw uh mostly because it would have you know, taken him two seconds to destroy any skeleton, but also uh, he it would have had a much harder time training the the rest of the guys with the spears. And um, I think there's a lot in the movie that just wouldn't like. I understand why the chainsaw was replaced, um, but I hadn't thought about of that before. And I was like, yeah, the chainsaw is pretty cool. I'm glad it gets a little bit of action, um, and I. Again, with his physicality, I love the like setting up the, you know, the cord of the chainsaw, like in his shirt and the way he like just very confidently does it. Um, so I'm glad there's a little bit of that in this movie. Um, but I hadn't considered that before as just, you know, I somebody who's just been a fan of it for so long. I'm like, oh, yeah, that that is a really pitch perfect protagonist design with a chainsaw yeah. hand. Well, if anything, you know, quite literally handicapping the protagonist, right? That would then, I think, when you're trying to make a bigger movie, right, that limits the potential, right? Because then right. there might be, oh, well, how many gags can we do about he only has one working hand? And, you know, that, if anything, might interfere, especially when you're thinking about, like, that scene at the very end where he basically repurposes the Oldsmobile into this, like, weapon of war. <laughs> um, that's a little more difficult to steer and shoot a gun at the same time when he's got a chainsaw on his arm. But Exactly. I, I guess it is the type of thing, though, that now that you mention it, like I had never thought of that or viewed the movie with that in mind. But I guess that's a compliment then to like what Raimi's able to do with that change mm -hmm. um, in terms of like, oh, I've never thought of that before. And it's like, oh, that's because Ash had all these other things that he was doing that were a uh, comparison between them in terms of their success. But just like he's able to do more interesting thing or differently different dynamic. interesting things yeah dynamic yeah. there we go i'm struggling yeah. to speak now but it's uh yeah i i think that if you end the movie and you're not thinking that immediately that well the director was able to still succeed in a different way um but at the same time you know if you want to see more chainsaw arm ash you know just go back and watch the original yeah you know it's still there and so yeah i thought that was interesting like you said i hadn't thought of it before it didn't ever impact my enjoyment of the movie but again, that was my entry point. So um, it was some food for thought, certainly, um, just to think about, oh, yeah, that would have been interesting. But I guess maybe he would have run out of fuel for it. Yeah, that too. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think the saw, though, you know, the saw works so well in the close quarters of the cabin, right? And if anything, yes. the saw is allowed to, uh, you know, roar a little louder, just be a more of a menacing weapon when you know, you're running around the cabin being chased by floating deadites. Whereas if you're in a battlefield, right, it's maybe a little different or less uh, as menacing of a weapon. But uh, I'm curious, like in thinking about the very ending of the movie, um, I assume you've seen the director's cut before? I have. Okay, so this was my first time watching the director's cut ending. And I'm curious, uh -huh. what do you think about the director's cut ending? 
I understand it because it's very ash right you know i mean for people who don't know and uh, i mean this is a spoiler i guess but in the director's cut he takes too much of the the potion and ends up in the far future um and he's you know upset <laughs> about that um ends up in a uh, a future that only cormac mccarthy could have dreamed of yes exactly uh Makes the Mad Maxness of the Oldsmobile like, oh, right. at least you have that knowledge. Um, <laughs> but so I, I understand how Raimi arrived at that ending originally, right? Because that's a very Ash thing to do is to not follow directions and screw something up, despite being very competent in certain ways. Um, he still has this element of like clumsiness almost um, or, you know, oversight because he's too confident um so it, it, it's true to the character it also would not have been a problem for the show considering the the show does not acknowledge army of darkness at all because they couldn't get the rights um so it's like yeah it's in funny the long how that run, kept happening <laughs> yeah yes right uh big problem for poor sam raimi but um you know in the long run that that isn't an issue in terms of like the sequel potential uh, from a, you know, money-making perspective. But I do think the ending that, you know, the the official ending, the canon ending that made it into theatrical cut fits the tone of the movie better. You know, you, you get this one final sequence of, you know, badassery. He really, he gets to take out the, the you know, the boomstick, but one like just off the shelf. Yeah. Um, you get the one liner, he gets a new girl, uh, which is sort of on brand for him at this point. And um, you, you, he, he does screw up a little bit, right? Because a deadite does make it through with him. So it's like, he's still, he's still screwed up in some way and is fixing it quickly at the end of this movie. But but one thing I the one thing I really, really like about it is that brings in the S smart aspect. You know, it calls back to that, like saying, you know, he's had a job. Uh he had a job and a girlfriend named Linda. And, you know, everything was great in Michigan. And uh it gives him a place to go back to that's also funny. Like like he's happier, you know, he was king back there but but here he feels like a king um i really i i really like the tone that that strikes um a lot and of course we wouldn't have hail to the king baby without that ending right. so <laughs> i'm definitely more of a fan of the theatrical ending right i think that that is such a perfect encapsulation of that character and again i kind of like the thing i keep coming back to with his arc and you know he begins his arc as this very tragic figure that then through the trials and tribulations becomes the hero. And, you know, even though he's had really, you know, these milestones of growth, he's still the lovable punching bag Ash, right? And that, right. you know, I think that it's, uh, it might, I think it's Ted Raimi that is in that S-Mart scene that's like his coworker that he's relaying. That his, is Ted his, Raimi. Yeah, yep. his grandiose tales. And after he's saying all this spiel, Ted Raimi just goes, did you manage to say the words right this time? Like, that's <laughs> such a fantastic callback to of course, what happened earlier, yes. and, you know, what set that all off. And the idea that that line was omitted in the director's cut, like the fact that they went a different direction and it completely left that out. Like I was a little enraged by because it's just such a perfect encapsulation of that character that, you know, even if he has had this growth, he has changed, he has become the hero of his story. He's still this goofy guy that still makes mistakes periodically and whatnot. Exactly. And, you know, at the end of the day, he's still going to get the girl and kill the deadites, but he's still not perfect, which I think if they ever presented him as being perfect, you'd be like, well, this is, I'm done with this character essentially. But, you know, yeah. as the series shows, he still has plenty of hijinks left in him. He does. And um, it really warms my heart that Bruce Campbell so clearly loves the series and loves the character of Ash. I mean, I think that really comes through, like we said, in how he sells everything. But um yeah, my final thought on the uh, the director's cut ending is is definitely that, like, you know, I, I just really like you come from that, which I believe was like the original idea for the ending. It does it does feel like a rough draft. Like I like I said, I can see how Sam Raimi would get there um, from who this character is, but I I just love how 
the theatrical ending still captures, like you said, the the bumbling aspect of the character, um, but in a much more positive way, uh, because because that's the thing. I think that the the director's cut ending definitely misses the part where Ash makes a mistake, makes a mistake, but can still rectify it. There's no rectifying what he's done in that ending, whereas in the you know the S smart ending, like he's made a really big mess, but you know. We were able to, we were able to to you know kill the she bitch and uh, <laughs> and so yeah it just it, it ties it all together much better in my opinion yeah absolutely and I think that it shows that the you know them getting to the finish line of this movie was clearly you know a little rockier than they had intended and I think it was even delayed an entire year basically so it was mm-hmm. filmed in ninety two but then it was released in ninety three and you know it clearly they needed a little more time to flesh that out. And, you know, I think that that's the superior ending to the film. But um, I guess before we wrap up, I'm curious, you know, you clearly have a great admiration for the series, but specifically, you know, Evil Dead 2, Army of Darkness, and their inherent more comedy focus. Uh, We're supposed to be getting Evil Dead Rise at some point this year. Uh, I'm curious, what would you like them to pursue tonally with a new Evil Dead movie that doesn't have Ash, right? Yeah, I mean that's a very good question. I think you know we talked about the 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 remake a little bit during the show, but um, my I, I really liked seeing the purest horror form. I mean, like you said, there's a comedic aspect in the excess where like I'm at the point where I just laugh at gore. You know, I'm like oh, that's <laughs> yeah. a lot of blood, or that's an interesting <laughs> way to cut a human being, um, <laughs> or like wow, she is on fire. Um, so I liked that aspect of the movie of like, we already have Evil Dead, Evil Dead, Dead 2 and Army of Darkness. This new series can take a different tone. It doesn't need to be comedic. So I'm not necessarily looking for comedy out of it. Um, I did my, my criticism of the first one, was it 2013? Um, was that the Deadites were not as cheeky. So like, while I, I'm happy with the horror direction overall is like, okay, we're taking this in the opposite direction that the, the original trilogy took it, where we're moving closer to horror than rather than further away. But the Deadites are a little like your mother sucks cocks in hell for me. Just a little, a little bit too intense. I think there's some shots that, especially in the unrated version, that cut back to, you know, like the Deadite in the cellar where I'm like, I, why'd you cut back to this? We didn't, like... Right. Leave a little bit, leave a little bit to the imagination. Um, so I would like to see a little bit more restraint in that regard. Um, not with the gore, but with like adding tension and, you know, keeping the deadites, they're more, um, they almost have a mischievous, they're obviously very evil. It's like, it's a malevolent uh, force, but it's, also mischievous and likes to make fun of you and you know the, the deadites will mess with you too and i that's what was missing from the 2013 one for me so i would love to see a little bit more of that deadite personality yeah. um and less of the exorcist pure <laughs> over the top pure evil where i'm like wow calm down <laughs> <laughs> I definitely agree that, you know, some of the personality of the Deadites is stifled in the remake. And for the reasons that you just mentioned, um, I definitely would like to see them play with their, you know, food, so to speak, in a way that they did throughout the entire original trilogy. And not just have that be them, you know, saying lewd things over and over to the (laughs) victims, right? I think that there's definitely more creativity that could be imparted with them because they are so undefined considering like this gray area now, if we're going into this movie, the director can really do whatever they want because they've obviously seen the original trilogy tone shift and change. They've seen the remake. So I'm really interested kind of just to see the direction they take. At the same time, I would be hesitant to say like, I want them to take a more comedic tone because how well does that play if, you know, of course, if Bruce Campbell, Ash himself is not there and Mm -hmm. the idea that they might try to like fill those shoes Seems like a fool's errand, but, you know, I think I'm most interested in seeing how they utilize that setting, right? It being a high-rise apartment. That could be something that I hope 
they kind of run wild with. And that's really what I think uh, will define that film, hopefully. Is Jane Levy in in it? Do you know? I don't believe so. I believe that it's an all original cast that no returning characters, but there have been inklings or, you know, rumors online that perhaps they might try to incorporate that in some way because there were those original plans, right? I think for a remake that incorporated Ash and Jane Levy's character, but we'll see. I'm not, I'm not sold on that for a, uh, a direct to streaming movie. That's going to have that uh, (laughs) element to it, but we'll, we'll see. I, uh, the reason I ask is because I, I think there was a period of time where she really was showing her scream queen, queen potential, mm-hmm. but also she's been in sitcoms. So I do think like, I don't want to see just your Ash, but a girl. Uh, but I do think, you know, she as an actress would be capable of, of walking that line in a different way, if that makes sense. Uh, like you said, not interested in the comedic angle without Ash. I, you know, we talked about how much Bruce Campbell sells that. I think it would be really hard to sell that with somebody else, but I do think she has the potential to add a little bit of, you know. Well, if she returns, right, she's going to have a little more, I suppose, like spunk to her, right? The same way that Ash does, right? He's, she's, if she were to return, she'd come back more confident. She would come back with a little more of a shit talking grin whenever she says anything because she has that experience. I mean, that would be an amazing twist, right? If that halfway through the movie, she shows up and basically teaches all of the, the, you know, the new young cast of Evil Dead Rise and basically is like, actually, this is how you guys need to do this. Like, that would be cool. But I don't know if that's what we're going to get. But yeah, we'll see. I'll (laughs) watch it anyway, just to see, uh, you know, because, you know, you said it before. I mean, the the director can really there's a lot of wiggle room there, given how much the first you know, the original trilogy, uh, you know, shifted. So hopefully they can make it their own. I'll have to hope. But we'll wait and see. <laughs> hopefully it's still coming at the end of this year. Um, but Callie, this was a pleasure. I appreciate you taking the time to chat uh, Evil Dead with me and Army of Darkness. Yes, we we uh, deviated from the main topic a little bit, but um, I had a lot of fun. And thanks again for uh, inviting me on. Of course. Um, before I let you go, is there any uh, recent projects you'd like to promote or your uh, your Twitter so people can follow all your terrific work over at Polygon? Well, first of all, thank you. That's very nice to say. Um, I don't have anything in the works at the moment. I am you know, the senior copy editor over there, so I, I read everything on the site and there is some awesome stuff, um, some really, really good reads. Um, but if, you know, if I end up doing some writing, which is uh, definitely possible. Um, I would definitely tweet it out at Twitter. My handle Inky Dojiko, I-N-K-Y-D-O-J-I-K-K-O. Yes, I wish I could change it. No, I don't know what I would change it to. Um, That's where you can find me. Thank you for listening to another episode of Daily Horror Habit. You can follow the show on Twitter at Daily Horror Pod or give me a follow at NotFunnyJ. Thanks again for listening. and I'll see you guys next week.